iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome back to The Ruck. You join us on an extraordinary morning. It is two years and six days since Stuart Lancaster's England got knocked out of the World Cup and a lot has happened in that time. England have proved that they are not actually that bad after all. The All Blacks have been beaten, well, only twice, but they've still been beaten. Exeter won the title, Scott Baldwin got eaten by a lion, Marcus Smith reached puberty, people even stopped hating Saracens. All these things. We have moved on, or haven't we? We wake up this morning to extracts of Rob Andrews' new book in which he tells us that actually Stuart Lancaster was a bit crap. He calls Lancaster's regime a slow-moving car crash. Two years after the event, he absolutely eviscerates the man. Well, thank you, Rob, for joining the conversation. We should point out that hidden in the small print is the fact that actually Rob was on the committee that appointed Stuart Lancaster. Minor detail, perhaps. And more on that later. But I just needed to get that off my chest. Uh, we have a lot more to discuss with some special people. We have Ruck regular Alex Lowe, who in more extraordinary circumstances has not been to a stag do or a wedding over the weekend. Hello, Alex. Hello. All good? Yeah, very very good, thank you. And we have a Ruck debut from another Times rugby writer who we've been trying to get on the show for months. He's actually the Guinness London Irish Rugby Union journalist of the season, John Westerby. John, great to have you here. Am I really? Am I still? Well, I, when I did my research on you, because I couldn't remember what you looked like, that's what it says. Now, when you get the um, that great accolade, what, what does it come with? A year's supply of Guinness? Roughly, yeah. I mean, I only drink four or five Guinness a year, so that's about the sum total of it. Right, good on you. And the freedom of the Medeski as well, I no doubt. Naturally. So you can pick your seat, which isn't hard. Yeah, it's harder than you might think. <laughs> a lot of choice. And um, we're also honoured to have amongst us today a real broadcaster, not just a hack like the rest of us who make up as we go along. Uh, Ali Ekin, now of BT Sport, formerly the BBC, major on rugby and tennis. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Great to be here. And sailing. And so, yeah, don't forget the sailing. Well, I was just going to about to come on to that. You stole my <laughs> life. So, Ali, you covered the America's Cup in the summer. I did. And what was it that attracted you to six weeks in Bermuda? Uh, yeah, it's a very, very good question. A terrible place. Uh, weather's awful. The beaches are, are dirty and unpleasant. People are miserable. Um, it was a very special time. I was lucky. I was very lucky. Every now and again, if you're in the right place at the right time, Slotty, as you probably know by now, things come good, don't they? And um, I had a very, very happy few weeks out there. It was illuminating in lots of different ways. I am not a man who has sort of sailing in his bones, but I learnt and I watched and... Uh, and I really enjoyed it. That it only comes around once every four years. Well, or, it's a bit of a blow. So five years. Now. And now they're changing the venue as well, which is which is perhaps the most disappointing thing of all. It's not going to be Bermuda it again. It won't be in Bermuda again. So no. you're not going to do it no. next no. time. It might have you? been one glorious moment in time. Oh, well done, you. A rugby championship finally got interesting at the weekend. Um, amazing game in Cape Town. 
Springboks, who have had uh, were beaten by 50-plus in New Zealand only two weeks previously, three weeks previously, got within a couple of seconds, a point or two of an amazing victory. There was a lot of good young players there. We've written them off in the season that's gone with all the players, all the all the players that have gone, all the issues that they face. John, what's, what's your sort of uh, initial impression on that? Well, it looks, uh, the most reassuring thing, was there looked to be some spirit there still, didn't there? Which at this stage of the rugby championship, there might not have been considering what they've been through. Um, but still, the, probably the most illuminating stat on that game that came out before the game was that there were more Springbok caps in Montpellier and Stade Francais, I think, than there were in the Springbok team that were going to be taking on New Zealand. And that really t- tells really, you the whole story, doesn't that's it? That's extraordinary. <laughs> that's extraordinary. Ali, did you catch much of that game? I saw some highlights. Like John, I was just happy to see the box fighting. You know, they've got some good players and the way people like Peter Steph Toy played and Malcolm Marks and Etzebet, who was at the heart of everything. That's encouraging. There's something there's something there, but clearly they are struggling big time with all their overseas players. They need to find a way to get some of those guys back because the quality of those they're missing is staggering. And is it any wonder that they are falling off a cliff in international results as a consequence? It's a, it's a great shame. Nobody wants to see them struggling along, but at least there is fight there and, and that bodes well. That's um, Malcolm Marks is pretty extraordinary, isn't he? Some player. Just a crazy, crazy ball carrier, brilliant over the ball. He looks like somebody they could build a team around. The loose head next to him, Christoph. I know he was a, was a tight head. Kits off. Kits off. So th- those guys are proof that you can take the best players out of South Africa, but the system, because it, it's so ingrained, will carry on producing great school kids. They do still keep producing players. It's whether they can they can hang on to them. Just need to hang on to a few for a while <laughs> for a, a run into a World Cup. The, the more interesting thing for me is, is about the rugby championship this year is how much New Zealand are going to be tested now over the next couple of years leading up to the World Cup. The Rugby Championship has been a really good proving ground for them over the last couple of World Cup cycles. Is it that now that they're not going to play England until next year? I think it's a worry from an England point of view how long it's been since they've played New Zealand. What if New Zealand pick a second team next time around? We might still not know how good England are until then. But perhaps the same will apply for, for New Zealand. If South Africa continue to be weak, if Australia don't shape up, they might well do become the World Cup, but... Uh, New Zealand aren't going to be tested in the run-up to this World Cup like they have been consistently in the run-up to the last couple. I think New Zealand are testing themselves a bit at the moment. They, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they used 40 players in this tournament, which was significantly more than any of the other teams. They're, they're searching for, I think, the identity of the team that will take them forward. And in some ways, that's putting extra pressure on, on themselves by blooding probably more players than they usually do. That Over recent years, they've had the, the nucleus of a team and they've always been able to drop in a couple of newcomers to see how they how they went. Um, Steve Hansen, since the Lions tour, has, has chucked in a whole load more, which is putting some some pressure on them. And I think they're trying to find themselves a little bit as well. And, and on Argentina, their Super Rugby franchise have just appointed Mario Ledesma as, as the new head coach. He's moving from Australia, which which will be interesting to see whether he can he can help bed in that that nucleus of the team. And there was a piece, an article from South America just this morning suggesting that they're going to loosen their their selection criteria for the World Cup. Whether that's a panic move because this clearly isn't working or whether it's a sign that they're going to change it long term, I don't know because I haven't had a chance to to follow it up properly. But um, I think it's really important when you see the way that Figallo and Bosch play for for Saracens just to to pick out two, they could do a massive, massive job for Argentina at test level and and they don't pick them. And I'm in danger of sounding like Stephen Jones, but I think... I think if that is what they're looking to do going forward, that can only strengthen Argentina. 
And the um, the likely replacement for Ledesma in Australia is is Laurie Fisher, I gather. He of of one of the many rounds of failure at Gloucester. So good luck on that front. Um, just to find on that front on the um, rugby championship. Does anyone get Liam Squire's haircut? I mean, can, can Ali, you're good on haircuts, um, I, you can explain I'm that? Not sure one I of could, your strengths? I'm not sure I could carry that off, if I'm brutally honest with you. But, you know, each to their own. It's important we have individuals out there, isn't it? Okay, well, isn't I, it? I, no, I, th- I think you're right. I, I, thank you for setting me straight on that. Hey, Better or worse than James O'Connor? Oof. Well, that's a, that's a horrible question to be asked, isn't it? I think James O'Connor's is, is, is pretty shocking at the moment, isn't it? I mean, it's a, yeah. just a proper tennis ball. I'd go Squire. You push me up against the wall, I'd say Squire. John, do you want to commit yourself on that? I think James O'Connor's being very brave uh, trying to settle in, in the Manchester area with that haircut. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we've just got to the end of the first six weeks of the Premiership, which is the first block of Premiership games. We move uh, next weekend into the European Champions Cup and Challenge Cup. So uh, we've had a chance to properly see what the English clubs all look like now. Who's uh, impressed? Who hasn't? It has been a fairly extraordinary season. I think most people say in terms of number of upsets, every team's lost at least once. Northampton were top of the championship before the weekend and uh, lost to Gloucester in a great game uh, on Saturday. It seems to me that slowly we're seeing the cream rise to the top as you would have expected, but probably more slowly than you thought. So you have Saracens and Exeter at the, at the top. Uh, Newcastle, we agree, is sort of the, the most surprising package. Everyone thought that they would incrementally improve, but th- they seem to have leapt ahead. Ali, w- w- what's really struck you about the, the first six weeks of this championship? Uh, which which clubs are, have you really enjoyed watching? Well, I always enjoy watching Exeter because I love their intent and, and the way they go about their rugby and the way, frankly, they're they're handling themselves as champions because I think a lot of clubs who manage that first time out don't find a way to to kick on. And the way that they've gone about it, you talk to Rob Baxter or any of the coaches down there, is that they've just asked them to try and embrace it and enjoy it and just continue exactly what they were doing before. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel. They know they're good at the way they play their rugby. They know that if they're at full tilt pretty much any team in in Europe is going to struggle to live with them they haven't gone inside themselves maybe it helped that they reached a premiership final the year before so they've kind of gone through the the disappointment thing the second season syndrome uh, to some degree so I've really enjoyed watching them I've loved seeing Newcastle come on the way they have I'm so impressed with the voice that Dave Walder has managed to find at Newcastle Falcons because I think there was probably a danger with Dean Richards and John Wells there together that the game perhaps mightn't evolve to the extent that a lot of a lot nicely. of those players would have wanted but Dave Walder's found a voice and he he's a guy who has attack in his bones I mean he loves he, he loves that style of rugby and they've got a squad now which can carry out that style of rugby which is which is just lovely to see there are now players in that team you are itching to go and watch now that wasn't the case three or four years ago at Newcastle and it is now so so they've been brilliant and and they're maybe they're overachieving at the moment we'll see how their squad depth handles things through the rest of the season but for the moment they've been a revelation we said this about Newcastle before they've done really well to this stage but they're now getting into the into parts of the premiership season when they have the advantage because they won't be losing so many international players so theoretically, they have a better chance of keeping it up. I remember talking to Andy Goode after his short stint up there and I asked him about the, the pitch because he was in two minds about whether it was the right idea for Newcastle to, to lay down a 4G pitch, keeping aside the, the commercial reasons for doing it from a rugby perspective. 
he felt that, that the boggy pitch and tough conditions was always in Newcastle's favour at Kingston Park and that they were taking a big gamble in in, uh, in, in installing this pitch which would would help the better teams. And actually, it's helped Newcastle because they've recruited players who, who enjoy playing on the top of the ground. And, and I think the pace of it has, has actually helped them come on. Um, and, and the fears that, that Andy Goode initially voiced, I, I don't think have, have come to pass because cause that, that pitch has really, has really helped them get to where they've got to. Dave Walder himself said how much he used to hate playing on that boggy pitch. So you've got, you've got a creative time, maybe... Johnny Wilkinson was the only uh, creative player who ever enjoyed playing on there, was a, in, due to his masochistic tendencies. <laughs> but Dave Walder said he used to hate playing at home, and so you are not going to attract those sort of players if you're playing on a bog week in, week out. I think the, the most pleasing thing, in a way, is they've evolved at the right sort of pace as well. Newcastle, haven't they? In a, in a similar way to what Exeter did it, it, a couple of years ago, it looked like maybe they'd got too many imports, too many South Sea Islanders, and they'd gone a bit far away from their their local lads. Uh, culture, but those local lads are coming through now. They've built the base, and th- those local lads are getting getting older. Your Will Welchers, your Mark Wilsons. Uh, th- th- there's there's a decent crop there now, isn't there? And, um, and and you can see the direction they're going. It's going to be fascinating to see how they how they hang on for the next few months. What what else, John? In, in which other clubs have you sort of particularly enjoyed watching, or or otherwise have disappointed you so far? In a funny way, I enjoyed watching Saracens quite a lot. It's, it's been interesting to see. I, I don't think they are they're not kicking as as much as as, as they have done. Their defence is still in, in a different league to to, to most teams. But it, it was interesting to see how they integrated Liam Williams. I, I'd be interesting to see whether whether he plays fullback much this season. Probably not, because Alex Good has been has been. Still been playing re- really, really well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've still got a blank, um, a blank space in my uh, number fifteen for the uh, uh, the team of the Premiership season so far. But I think he's um, he's probably been the best there is. But I've also I've, I've enjoyed watching Alex Lazowski as well. He's not perfect by any means, but he still does a brilliant job coming in and uh, steering the ship when Owen Farrell's not there. Did you see the twenty-two dropout that they ran? I, did, I, I, I didn't see that, but I read about it. it sounds good. I'm all for that sort of thinking. Well, it was a brilliant sort of training ground uh, move, but you wouldn't associate it with Saracens of two years ago for sure. So Lazowski had had the ball and he just flung it over to to Bosch as they do sometimes. You think there's going to do that dummy sort of short one, but actually Bosch did take the just grubbed it over the line, picked up and Lazowski just ran on the line right right by him and picked up the pop pass and and Wasp just weren't weren't ready for it at all he made half the length of the field on the back of that that's a great sign isn't it if they're finding innovative ways to do set piece maneuvers like that it was lovely to watch Alex um what what about yourself winners and losers of the prem so far probably I've probably seen Northampton in fact I've definitely seen Northampton more than any other team and they you're, they're not friends with you. sorry is it the other way around you're not friends with them or Jim Mallinder was a bit upset with me I think in, in how I described their opening day demolition at the hands of Saracens he can't have, he can't, there I, can't be many people out there that he likes then. I don't think I was alone um the, the human story if you like of them rebounding from from that game and it wasn't just an opening day defeat it was I mean they were demolished it was embarrassing I think they they even used the word humiliation and the way they they responded that they, they stumbled um this weekend but um, I've been really impressed with some of the poise that Harry Malland has showed at 10. He's not a natural 10, he's their third choice. They've had to do it without Dylan Hartley for a couple of games, Tom Wood. But they they look like they, they're a team who've almost, through the, the fires of that opening weekend, have actually worked out where they're good and, and, and what they stand for. Um, and Piers Francis coming in, I think, will give them something a bit extra. And, and um, it's been nice to see Luther Burrell 
showing the kind of form that got him into the England setup in the first place. So I'd probably I'd pick Northampton as a as one of the, the most interesting stories of the first chunk of, of the Premiership because they've gone from from rock bottom to well, to, to being top at, at one point. Let's just go across the board. So if we try and pick at this ludicrously early stage, our top four. So I think we'd all put extra and Saracens in there. Who who would who would your other two be? I, I had Wasp at the start of the season, which I I'm not really so sure about that. I I've not I, I don't know how to judge Bath at the moment because they're up and down. Leicester sort of similarish, and and Northampton I'm I'm not really convinced either. So I think there's still a lot of lot of clubs punching around that area, and Newcastle obviously as well. Ali, do you have a sort of a? Um, I I'm. Inclined to think maybe this is the optimist in me, but I think Wasps will, will will come good eventually. They are obviously, as we've been talking about, endlessly seemingly the the, um, the injuries for for their club seems almost worse than everybody else right now. And it's to key men as well that when they don't have Cipriani and Gopeth operating together, their shape is completely different, and it's not helping them. But I think when they get players fit, they will challenge. Um, I like the way Leicester are building into their season. Uh, they look pretty ropey first couple of rounds, didn't they? But the the understanding there is now between Ford and Tamua is beginning to bear fruit. Johnny May is getting great service out wide. I think Saints will be in the top four because they've set off so well. They set off so badly last season and they never really recovered. And I think you can recover. Exeter recovered, didn't they, from, from a, a poor yeah, start yeah. last season yeah. to win it. But... Uh, I think it's pretty unusual to get off to such a bad start and then suddenly find yourself in the playoffs at the end of the season. Um, and Bath are surprising people. I know they've had a couple of uh, a couple of results they would they would rather forget, but they they set out brilliantly again with quite a lot of injuries and they've coped very well. So when they're at full strength, if if a team is ever at full strength yeah. these yeah. days, uh, those would be mine who would be in the mix. But I would put probably now I'd put Saints and uh, Bath probably. John. Yeah, I think Leicester will probably probably come good. Uh, it's been nice to see that understanding developing in midfield. We're all, we're all looking forward to watching that back line uh, play. And th- these things don't happen overnight, do they? The, the creative understandings do take time to forge. And I think they'll be in the top four. Uh, Wasps, I think they've been a little surprised themselves by how, how much that shape has been uh, has, has been knocked off course by Cipriani not being out. Cipriani's out for a while yet, hasn't he? They're, they're looking for another 10 now, which, you know, from a position in which they, they had an embarrassment of riches in their back line last season, we all wondered how they were going to, how they're going to cope with that. And they're almost they're at the other end of the spectrum now, aren't they? Um, and they don't grow on trees. No, no. State, Stating the bleeding obvious, but, you know, to pick up a quality 10. And this is what Di Young has been saying for the last few weeks. We'll only go shopping for another 10 if we can find somebody who's going to do a better job than Rob Miller or potentially Vili LaRue. Well, they are very much stand-in tens. Good players, but but very much stand-in tens. But to go and to go and just pick one off the shelf doesn't happen. It's very, very difficult. There's only one place you're going to find one, isn't it? And that's Southern Hemisphere. And yeah. you've got to persuade somebody that it's it's good for them at this stage of their season. Well, a lot of Southern Hemisphere players seem to agree that it is good for them do, a lot yeah. of the time, don't they? <laughs> um, which is another story altogether. Alex, who would you have as your other two? I'm trying to think back to the, the first podcast of the season. I think everyone's agreed on Exeter, Saracens, Leicester, and Wasps as the top four. Um, I think it's re- I think it's great for the league that now we're talking about, you know, can Newcastle maintain this? Can can Saints maintain it? Can they can, can they shake up what we felt was a pretty established order? Um, I, I, I I'm inclined to think the Leicester probably will make the top four, but I'm the international break will be key because if they're without Ben Youngs and George Ford and Dan Cole. I'm not sure. I mean, Joe Ford will start. I think there's a there's a greater gap between their first choice and their second choice in some key positions there. 
uh, than than some of the other clubs. I mean, Northampton, for example, will have you know they might lose Pierce Francis, but they'll have Myler and Malinder. So I think how how Leicester deal with that period will be key for them. I'm going to say I, I like Newcastle to to keep going and and again to reiterate that point. You know they won't lose anyone in in the autumn or, or the Six Nations. I, I wouldn't imagine so. Um, it looks to me like the the order that we thought could, could well be shaken up by by Saints or or Newcastle. So can we pin you to Newcastle then? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. Okay, Newcastle. right. We'll revisit that in a few weeks' time. Um, all right, <laughs> let's let some... talk me into that. Let... <laughs> Didn't know you were so malleable. You're going to be so popular in the north, though. You know, this is you. You might have lost friends at Saints, but you're gaining them all the time in the northeast. The train is now approaching junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, Alex is going to um, introduce the next segment of this podcast by telling us who he believes is the Premiership 15 of the season to date. 15. I was choosing between Alex Good, Telu Savayanu. Uh, I've gone with Alex Good because he's just consistently superb for, for Saracens. On the wings, Johnny May uh, and Tom Collins oh, at, at nice. Northampton. Uh, Rocco was close, but Collins has just been... I think Northampton have played... A slightly quicker style of rugby this year. They haven't just relied on the on the pack to try and smash it up all the time. And Collins has been really influential in that. His his speed and his his finishing has been great. Midfield, um, I, I've I've loved I've loved the way Tom Collins has has gone this season. I've actually got I went for May and Rocco, uh, but you've you've got so many good wingers at the moment, haven't you? Woodburn, I would put in there as well. He's just been incredible and so good aerially as well. Um, I, I think you have to consider a bloke like Alex Lewington because without Lewington. without yeah, Lewington, my other win, opposite, you know, opposite Johnny May, he changes the the way Irish play. I, I think with, with him. They are. They have a serious attacking weapon. Without him, I, I feel they don't have the same teeth. Um, so I went with those two, and I, I would have gone with Vayano at fullback. But that's just me. I love the footwork. I've uh, gone the other way with Good at fullback, and I've to, just to be boring. Uh, I've gone Rocco and May. But I, I did wonder about um, with a nod to the northeast about Gonover, who has just been a brilliant signing for for them. Um, it, it, it looked like it might be a little bit late in his career, but he's still producing uh, little moments of magic. Who's in your uh, Who's in your midfield, Alex? Um, I don't know whether it stack up on the field because it might be a little bit creative. But Matt Tamura at twelve and Henry Slade at thirteen. Um, there are coaches who might want a bit more direction there, but those two, I mean, Tamura has just been, we, we talked about him earlier, his partnership with, with Ford. I mean, that's why Leicester spent so much money on him and why they really they really missed him massively last last season. Should there not be a, an obligation on this podcast to pick Henry Trinder in the centre? 
I've done so. Oh, well done, John. Okay. No, I, I have as well, but 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 that's from the heart. I don't, how many games has he played? Only... Not, not many, but he still gets it. But he's still, <laughs> it's just fantastic, isn't he, watching yeah, what just, he does? Yeah. He's fit. he's fit, isn't he? And he's he's properly international quality player, and he has been for, for years, but he's just never been able to string matches together because his body keeps letting him down. We just have to cross everything we have. Everybody who loves rugby would love to watch that guy play over a sustained period because he's got everything you need. He's got pace, he's got brilliant balance, phenomenal skill, great vision, and he's just what Gloucester need in that midfield, I think, to to push them forwards. They, they're so up and down, but if he can stay fit, that is one thing they can really cling on to. So at this point, you don't want Eddie Jones to go near him, do you? You want him to get week after week after week if it still if it carries on, could he get into a Six Nations squad? Why not? Why not? He's also let, let's face it. I mean, it's it's a terribly tedious thing to say about a brilliant thirteen like this, but he's got to be able to defend as well at international level, hasn't he? It's the, it's the I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We were having so much fun. We were, we were, and but I, and I hate myself because I watch Henry Twin, Henry Trinder's footwork. You can see his rugby brain sort of bursting out. It's brilliant to watch, and then you think is he as good, as good a defender as Jonathan Joseph at international level? But that that thirteen is the key position that all defence coaches want nailed down. Isn't it? You've got to be a you've got people coming at you in all sorts of different directions. Um, can he defend as well as Jonathan Joseph? Probably not at this stage, but uh, uh, enjoy his footwork in the meantime. Alex, who are your uh, halfbacks? I think I'm going to. I think Marcus Smith's season's been the most interesting of all the fly halves for me because he's a rookie uh, who's who's taken the, the lead by storm. I think Reese Priestland's played really well. Boringly, I'm going to pick Owen Farrell. It's kind of an obvious pick, but I just go back to a game. First game he played for Saracens at Bath came on at half time. Oh, Saracens been struggling, didn't he? just changed. The, and Lazowski was playing ten. Was playing. He's a very very good player. Farrell came on and everything went up by twenty percent. He was magnificent, and that's that's his standard. But I'm open to to, to it being a debated position because Preston's played well and Smith's just been one of the stories of the league so far. And your nine? So Fafter Clerk at Sale's been excellent, but I couldn't look beyond. Takalua from Newcastle. Well Finally, we've gone to the northeast. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on the nine, and I actually had Priestland at ten. Yeah, I had I had the same two, Takalua and Priestland. Actually, I mean, the only thing about Farrell, you can argue all day long that he's he's arguably the best player in the Northern Hemisphere, maybe I, I, even I, I in the world. Disagree that he's not the, the best. Yeah, but, I just, but I think if we're if we're judging it on the basis of the six rounds of the Premiership, he he's had a couple of, of cameo performances, hasn't he? And he's been eased back in off the Lions tour and, and all of those things. So um, I, I didn't have him in my list as a result of that, but I do I do think he's the he's the best player in the Northern Hemisphere. Smith has been. As you said, a revelation. So good to see an 18-year-old bossing a team of hardened internationals and and controlling a game as well as those little moments, those flashes of of genius that, you know, the way he takes the ball to the line, that's obviously very instinctive, very natural for him. But on Friday night, I thought he was exceptional at the stoop in, in driving his team forward, making sure that he knew when the moment was to punch it into the corners, you know, keeping the carrot in front of the donkeys, as they say, you know, that that's not something that, you always have in a teenage 10 again stating the obvious but he he has it just seemingly in his dna i think and it's going to be brilliant to see him develop because he's got a fabulous mentor in nick evans um, not to mention the rest of the quinn's coaching staff and and he has the application and the drive i think to go to go big do we think there's a chance that he might play for england this season I think it's very unlikely, but I wouldn't put anything past Eddie Jones. It's just the kind of thing he might do against possibly the Argentinians or, or Samoa. I can't see it happening, but I wouldn't be... Against Samoa, I you'd know, watch but, it through your fingers, wouldn't you? Well, you probably would in terms of his health and safety, but 
he's already said, hasn't he, Eddie, that he's going to roll the dice a little bit this autumn. It's not necessarily going to be the 15 that everybody would put down on a piece of paper right now. So there is a shot, but I think it's a very long one. It's a seductive notion, isn't it, as well, to have the thought of having somebody like that on your bench, maybe, to, to, to come on and uh, maybe some would be perfect, just, you know, broken field, second half, he could just cut cut the game apart, couldn't he? Well, he might. He might also get cut in half a couple of times because he's he's kind of fearless and brave. But there are also moments when you're not on the front foot as a ten. You know, they'll all tell you, won't they? You you got to just take a take a pace, take a bit of time, and again use the, use the boot where necessary. I don't think it's beyond the realms, but I just hope that Eddie doesn't pick him for the autumn. Just as just, like we were saying with Trinder, just let him get more games, more confidence. Right? I had the same toss up with De Klerk and. Takalua at nine, but I, I went for De Klerk, who I think he was the the first nine I saw really exploiting the the new breakdown laws. I thought the first first few weeks people were a little bit more hesitant around the breakdown. There, was a, there were a few more gaps around there, and he I saw him making break after break, and and it was brilliant. And, and he's also taken on a real. He's really led Sale. They haven't had, they haven't had a brilliant start by any means, but he's he's really shone and taken hold of that team, which uh, for a, for a new player has been quite impressive. And at ten, I, I go for something different at ten. I go for Harry Malander, who. Might not have been the best ten in the competition necessarily, but he was carrying quite a burden on his shoulders after that opening defeat, playing slightly out of position. The whole thing looked up in the air. His dad was in the firing line, for goodness sake. Uh, and he's not done a bad job of it in the last few weeks of uh, of holding it all together, which is quite impressive. I think. Front row, um, Ellis Genge, Santiago Sochino from Newcastle and Juan Figalo at Saracens. Joe Marler, I'd pick either Saracen at um, Hooker and uh, Vincent Cocker on the tight head. I went for Vincent Koch on the tight head. Um, I I would throw in Mikey Haywood for Saints. Obviously, he deputises most of the time for for Hartley when Hartley's around, but as a result, he gets an awful lot of game time. (laughs) And he is a fabulous player in his own right. They don't lose anything by putting him in there. His carrying is excellent. He's got a real step and some speed for a hooker. And he's a hundred percent effort man. You know, he's he's a guy you can rely on every single week. I was tossed up between Genge and Marla at Loosehead. Genge one of my favourite players to watch in the in the whole league. And I, I love watching whether he's going to stay the right side of the line or not. It's a constant source of entertainment. That, but he, he seems to be doing pretty well at it, and he, he generally he makes an impact. But Marla just looks look, looks to be coming coming to the boil nicely. Um, so I've, I've plumped for him at one. I've gone for whoever starts out of Scalp Brits and Jamie George. Hooker, and I went for Figalo at tight head. Do you think Genge looks less and less like a like a kid who can't quite believe he's being allowed to play with the big blokes and wants to biff them from time to time? And he look he looks like he really belongs. There. He seems to, uh, I hate to say, it, but grown up a little bit. Is he, he he really fits the fits the role now? I think let's take ourselves back to the Kyle Sinclair incident and uh, the way people reacted to that. And uh, James Hall talked about the difference Sinclair getting the difference right between being angry and being aggressive yeah. and that's that's what's staying the right side of the lines about yeah. Genge looks to have got it about right Sinclair we thought had it about right but he he probably didn't quite second row I, I have Courtney Laws and David Ribbons from Northampton Courtney had a brilliant Lions tour and has come back and whether he plays second row or six he's just he, he is he's taken his game on massively he was captain for a couple of games when Dylan was out um, that leadership's um, side of him isn't something that people w- would always have associated with him, but he's he's taken it on really well. He is carrying the ball better and more forcefully than ever. He's becoming a leader in action as well as having the the armband. I think he's been superb for the Lions, he's, and he's carried the line. He's been superb for 
for Northampton. And uh, and, and I've gone with his, his second row partner, David Rivens, because he's one of those players who in Northampton's kind of rise from the, the, the ashes of their first round defeat has been superb. It, similarly, kind of dominant in the line out, scoring tries from, from close range because he's powerful. And he's been a, a player who many may not have, have picked out pre-season but I think he's been superb John Corney Laws has you around for tea often now doesn't he? is that correct just the once so far I'll see whether I get invited back or not but uh, yes I, I was around I was in his kitchen uh, last Thursday but from what I gather we see the good side of players to, from being media people and, and sometimes they're not so happy to, to to entertain us but from what I gather he was he, he was warm and hospitable and came over very well no? he was absolutely fantastic yeah I mean you always worry about uh, about sometimes about whether you're infringing people's personal space. And he, he invited us round. He, he couldn't have been more courteous. He introduced us to uh, his bulldog, Frank the Tank. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he he hadn't tidied up for us, which was nice to see as well. Made, made us feel all the more welcome. And our brilliant photographer, Mark Aspen, set up a studio in a very cramped hallway. And Courtney was happy to whip his top off and show off his pecs for the photographs, which are brilliant if you haven't seen them. Uh, but he, yeah, he, he was just, just lovely, and, but really impressive in the, the way he spoke as well. He, I, I spoke to Jim Mallinder about him uh, later, and he, and he said Courtney has grown as a person almost in parallel with how he's grown as a player and, and the confidence he has gained from, from moving his game forward and from the Lions tour in particular is why he ended up captaining Northampton when Dylan was uh, was, was absent earlier this season. For a lad who grew up just down the road from, from Franklin's Garden, it's a nice story. So in terms of the locks, I, I've had Courtney Laws and I put Marrow as my second lock because he's just gone straight back where he left off. I would like to add Callum Green in the interests of uh, representing the North East. He has been so dependable in the line-out. He has grown over the last few seasons. He's one of those who has quietly been coming through the ranks alongside people like Will Whitty. I think he's, I think he spent, sent a, uh, a spell at, at Leicester, didn't he, way back in the day. But he, he's a big man, he carries hard, but the line-out is where he's been very dominant. And I actually didn't think that there were too many other candidates other than Courtney Laws for it to be top of the shop in the in the lock department, ribbons I really like, uh, and and he's brilliant, wasn't that particularly that game against Bath at, at the Gardens? He was he was unbelievable, so hungry. You know, Marrow, I, d- I don't know if he's properly excelled to the same extent, but anyway, I would put Callum Green in there. I, I've gone for Marrow because uh, I think he's been pretty consistent. I've been surprised how much he's played, Marrow. I think he's started every game so far, hasn't he? Not many lines have yeah. done that. Um, I've gone. For, I've I've left Courtney. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm. Um, I've gone for Courtney at six because I quite like that. Talk us through your back row then. So uh, you can lead the, lead the back row charge. So back row, so I'll have I'll have Courtney at six, and I've got a, I've got a Newcastle player at six. Well, I've got a Newcastle player at seven. Will Welsh, who is oh, I put him at six. So we'll, <laughs> either way, we've got the same player. Yeah, I who, just wanted to get Sam Underhill in as well. Who for for for, for a long long time now, people in Newcastle tell us that Will Welsh is outstanding week in week out, and uh, you know you you always notice him, and he's got a, a real good relationship with Mark Wilson as a six and a six and seven there. I've gone for Sam Simmons of Exeter at eight. He looks like a sevens player, doesn't he? Really, but uh, who can resist um, resist him when he's running in tries like he scored this weekend? Well, I, I've got I've got Simmons at number eight, although Nili Latu was very close because he's been massive for uh, for Newcastle. I went with Jackson Ray, who can play in any of the positions, but I went with him at six because I just think, similarly to, to Alex Good, the consistent level of performance that he delivers for Saracens and Will Fraser on this podcast the other week, just just eulogising about how important he is to that setup. I think he's been re- I think he's been excellent again. I went with Sam Underhill at seven. 
he's only played a couple of games, but I just I'm amazed when when you watch him in that Bath game that that Al was referring to earlier. We were both that he made 23 tackles in just over an hour, but almost all of them apart apart from probably the last one when he got, he got knocked out. But they it, his technique is is just perfect. They were dominant, weren't they? That's yeah, they're, they're, they're dominant hits, but but not dangerous or they're just. They just forced the ball carry back, and I think he's made a, a really big impression in a short time. So, Underhill at seven for me. I would I would go Underhill at seven for all the same reasons. He's made an incredible start to to the Premiership uh, work rate and energy, still going strong late in games, which is always a, a, a big driver, I think, in the back row. Same goes for Don Armand, who I would have at six, uh, because his uh, his batteries just are unstoppable uh, and and he is such a driving force for for the Chiefs. Um, great line out as well. I, I just think he's one of those blokes that I, I can't believe that England can do without him. And, and I would also go with Simmons at eight, although I appreciate for England, maybe not. I mean, he's four stone lighter than Billy Vanapola, which I think at international level might tell, but I love his pace. I think Jonesy would be up in arms listening to this whenever he does listen to it, that we haven't all picked on Armand. Because he is, you're right, Ali. He's, oh, he's um, going to be furious. He's gonna is be there any way of stopping him listening to it? Can we stop someone downloading this? I, just, um, just one word on Underhill. I... I, I I like him and he, he's in my team of the season so far, but partly because he drove me to the station after I've been to do an interview with him and, and that's another rare quality like Courtney Laws' hospitality. I've got two, there's a short, short list of players who drove me to the station. Sam Underhill's the latest. The previous was Alex Cuthbert of Wales and Cardiff. Very good. I have somebody who drove me to uh, to Newcastle Airport actually long, long time ago in the dim and distant past, very late night at Kingston Park, last man out of the stadium, oh. very hardworking obviously. <laughs> uh, and uh, Dave Walder had been playing that day, I was stuck, my cabbie had not turned up and he said, w- w- where are you going? I said, well, just to the airport. He said, well, jump in, I'll take you there. So We should pick our whole team a nice on this man, basis, yeah, shouldn't we? People who drive you home. Toby Flood then is my fly half on that basis because he gave me a lift when I went up to see him earlier this season. Brilliant, brilliant. We're going to talk about the um, upcoming European season. The Challenge Cup starts on Thursday night. The Champions Cup starts on Friday. I'm going to go around the panel and ask uh, who we think are your potential champions. Ali, do you want to go? It's very hard to look too much beyond Saracens because of their squad depth and the experience they have. This tournament, as we know, over the years has, has shown time and again that you've got to go through those painful passages, losing in quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, um, invariably, before you actually get over the line and, and claim the, the trophy. Saracens have done all of that and more. Can they do three in a row? The only reason I would I would perhaps bet against them is that um, you know in doing that, they would be in a very rarefied group. And I'm just not sure whether whether that will happen. Uh, Montpellier would be my outside bet. They haven't really done what I've just described. Most teams needing to do. Montpellier are my tip to win. Are they? But but with the uh, caveat that they haven't, as you said, done the learning along the way. But I, I don't know how quickly they can pick it up. They have Vern Cotter as their coach, uh, who I have huge admiration for. I think he will turn them very, very quickly into a, a challenging, title-challenging team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had them in our when we did our pre-season predictions, put Montpellier down. I thought pretty much everyone would go for Claremont or, or Saracens, and I just thought Montpellier would be an interesting alternative. I mean, there's hardly anything between the top three teams in, in France. Um, th- they've had a couple of defeats, but then... I think they've both they've been on the road, and we know what French teams tend to be like on the road. But you're right, the squad. If you bring in Cruden, Picamol, Ruan Pinar, you've got Nandolo, the Duplessis brothers. I mean, it's 
it's a frightening mix. And they really care about Europe, which is important in it when we're discussing French teams because a lot of them don't don't set great store by it. And um, we look at Cast, for instance, they they haven't over the years shown a, a huge appetite for it. Montpellier really, really want the European title, particularly Moed Altrad, the owner. Let, let's hope that they don't win it this year, though, because the, the rationale that you spoke about there in building year on year, getting there, almost getting there, learning your lessons, they will have gone on a massive shortcut of that if they win it this year, won't they? And Claire, I mean, by that rationale, Claremont, Claremont have... Let's, let's keep, I want to keep keep tipping Claremont until they finally win it, basically, because <laughs> they really have been been there and not quite made it and surely learnt the lessons. But then again, we were saying that about them two or three years ago, weren't they? And they still don't quite seem to have made it. The thing about Claremont, though, is they're in the same group as Saracens. So one of Saracens or Claremont could quite possibly not that's, make it to the quarterfinals. Yeah, that, that, that's the, 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 the thing that really stops me from... From tipping Claremont, I'd, I'd probably fancy Saracens to top that group, and Claremont might struggle to get through. Right, let's go back to where we started this podcast when we were talking about Stuart Langster. He is now with Leinster, and Leinster play Montpellier on Saturday. Given the kicking that he's received this morning, do we have it in our hearts to hope that Leinster do well? They were in the semi-finals last year anyway, so they're not that far away from it. But their spend comparatively to a Montpellier is minute, isn't it? Probably a half, I reckon, of what Montpellier would spend on their team. I would be thrilled if, if Leinster managed it. Uh, to be honest, on a personal level, I'm really pleased at the way Stuart Lancaster's managed to kind of rebuild his his career post-England because he's a good man and he is somebody that, that lives, eats and breathes rugby. He loves the game and he's got an awful lot to offer. Um, I think there's no reason why Leinster can't be in the mix for, for the latter stages of Europe. No doubt. They've got the talent, they've got the, uh, they've got the ability in those ranks. And what Rob Andrews said about him, much of it is not terribly new. Much of it is broadly very accurate but there does seem to be a distinct lack of responsibility about Rob Andrew's own part in the appointment of Stuart Lancaster uh, and everything else that happened at the RFU between the years of what 08 and 15. Yeah I mean we're two years on a lot of of what Rob Andrew's talking about in his book was in the times the Monday after England lost to, to Australia I mean it wasn't it was it was festering at the time people knew of the uh, of the issues within the squad about Sam Burgess being there. It isn't new, but Rowan has got a book to sell. He's apparently looking at at his role in all of professional rugby. And, and it, the, the defenders of him uh, would say that he, he was primarily RFU to strike a deal with the clubs. I spoke to one person at the RFU this week who said the latest deal was done with Rob Andrew, but also Stephen Brown had a large role to play in it, probably a larger role than the previous deal, which, which Rob Andrew probably did do on his own. He's a, he's a divisive figure. He was then and he still is now. Most of the run, Rob Andrews have definitely felt like a, a dead horse being flogged. But the, the one interesting thing to me was when he described uh, Lancaster in the latter stages of England's World Cup campaign as being dictatorial, which is a word I don't think I've ever really heard uh, about about Lancaster. Well, head, head masterly was how he was. That, that was the sort of the criticism of the time. Dictatorial seems mm. doesn't seem not, like him, that does doesn't seem like a like a, a Lanny. Um, adjective to me. No, no. I mean, there were, there were criticisms at the time that he was anything but, and that other coaches were having too much influence, weren't there? Um, but I mean, in terms of his, his, to bring it back to the Leinster thing, it's, it's it's a very interesting relationship he's had with Leo Cullen there, isn't it? I think in in that Cullen was a a fairly uh, young, fairly new coach. Uh, Lancaster was brought in with a, a, a title, I think he called senior coach, something like that. Um, and he, he was really bringing his experience in to support someone who was above him in the food chain at Leinster but they, they seem to have made that uh, that relationship work pretty well and I, I think, think it's fair to say that, that Stuart Lancaster's um, time at Leinster has been infinitely more successful than most critics would have expected when he arrived there a year and uh, what, about 13 months ago now, isn't it? 
It's been a really good move for him, hasn't it? I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's given him that breathing space that he wouldn't have had in the Premiership. John, do you ever see him in the bars and pubs of, Le- of Leeds? You all sort of local boys together? Uh, you're you're I, drinking together a lot? I, I don't go out to the bars and pubs of Leeds, no. OK, and on that bombshell. <laughs> uh, boys, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, listeners, for listening to The Ruck. We'll be back next week. Have a great weekend. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.